Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Village Church. Good to see you. Um, As Mark mentioned, I'm married to um, the amazing Nova, and she actually comes from Indonesia. She actually comes from the very place that uh, Brennan and the team will be going up to as one of the places that they visit. And uh, I met her there on a mission trip uh, many years ago now. I think we've been married, we'll be going on our 14th wedding anniversary in a couple of months' time. We went up, as uh, some have, and we just joined with Rudy and Wendy Furlong, who are part of the apostolic team. And I was preaching at a youth celebration, and she was leading worship that night. And uh, it was uh, not to understated. It was exceptionally hot in the building. It was a small hall and the aircon had broken months ago and um, I was absolutely drenched. I was sweating and I was wiping the top of my brow with my sleeve but that had become so saturated all you were doing was actually just flattening the sweat beads on your face. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, what happens is the salt from your pores starts to get into your eyes and I couldn't see my notes and the evening was turning into a bit of a disaster and a young lady hopped up onto the platform and handed me a t- and eight months later we were husband and wife. <laughs> if she was here, I would say her number was on the inside of the tissue. But and um, she's an amazing lady and she's back at home. She's leading worship right now at our church. Uh, one of our other worship leaders is uh, taking a well-earned holiday. And uh, we also have a 22-month-old boy. We have two boys, Denver and Levi, both born on the same day, nine years apart. Exactly. So um, there's a story around it, which I want to share later, because I want to pray for some people as well. Just want to encourage you before I get into the message. You know, many people ask, why go to Indonesia? Why would you send a team from Hamilton all the way to Indonesia? Surely they got people there that can help themselves and sort themselves out. And we've just been up into Indonesia. And we, we go, obviously, with my wife being Indonesian. Um, God's opened up some doors for us to minister there. And we went to a pastor that we've been to, we've known for 10 years. Walked in, took one look at him and thought, this guy is literally on, on death's doorstep. His facial was gray. He was limping along. Then found out he had uh, contracted some strange disease which had paralyzed him for 18 months. And uh, we began to pray. And I think it was on the second or the third night while we were at his church ministering with him. We called him out. We laid hands on him. He went to bed that night, woke up the next morning and literally came leaping and bounding into the church. Totally healed by the power of God. Totally, completely healed, separately delivered. And that's just one example of many. I could take you through many examples of pastors that God has touched and ministered to. So there's a man who was literally on death's doorstep, probably going out of ministry, and today he's fired up and ready and ministering. And we don't know the true cost of those things. We go there, we're there for two weeks, we see something like that happen, but that man's building into people's lives, and we don't know what the cost is. So it's actually, in essence, a small price to pay to get on a plane to go from uh, Auckland all the way across to Medan and to Nias Island and other places to go and be a blessing. And I know sometimes in a church, you always have people say, oh, but there's so much need just here. Why do we need that? Look, God's big enough to deal with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth all at the same time. He's not a small God. He happens to be a very big God. He's large and in charge. He knows what he's doing. And he can reach Hamilton. He can reach Narawahia. He can reach Nias Island. He can reach Medan. And he can do it all with the people sitting here. And he can do it all at the same time. He happens to be very good at doing those things. <laughs> so I just wanted to encourage you with that as the team's going off. Indonesia is obviously close to, uh, close to my heart. I want to speak to you this morning, and then we're going to pray for some people. I feel the Lord's given me some words and some areas to minister into. But I want to speak about the biblical characteristics of a New Testament spirit-filled church. So I know that's a mouthful, so if you want to just shorten it out, you can just say we're talking about a spirit-filled New Testament church this morning. Now, when I say church... So many things are conjured up in people's minds, whether it's the building, but it's actually the people. And we know buildings are important. We need buildings to house people and to to meet and to gather. And so buildings are extremely important. But it's the people that God brings together in a particular location that make up a local church. I want to read you an article that I came across a while ago, and I have edited it. So I don't actually know where it comes from. So if you know where it comes from, I'm not plagiarizing this morning. I'm just being honest about it. I didn't write all of it. But it says this. I believe the local church, as challenging as it can be sometimes, is one of God's primary methods of dealing with man and creating community. 
While God can and does deal with individuals, it's almost always in the context of their relationship to the church. Yeah. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians, Galatians, and Ephesians were all written to churches about church relationships. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus were written to church leaders about how to properly shepherd and lead church relationships. Paul spent his entire ministry establishing churches and dealing with the messes that ensued. It's impossible to understand most of the New Testament without the lens of belonging to a local church. Peter was part of a local church. Paul was part of a local church. Barnabas was part of a local church. Timothy was part of a local church. Titus was part of a local church. And John was part of a local church until he was exiled alone on an island. Then instructed by Christ, he wrote seven letters to seven local churches. So no one in the early church ever graduated from the local church. I do not see myself ever coming to a place that the early church fathers never arrived at. I too will never graduate from the local church. Without the local church, I tend to only associate with people I like, people who are like me. But within the context of the local church, I'm challenged to love people who some find unattractive, unlovable, unkind. Don't hurt the person next to you. Within the community of the local church, I'm challenged to walk with them. That actually reflects the kind of community that Jesus had in mind when he chose to build his church. It's the kind of community that he died for. And I choose to live within the sometimes uncomfortable community of the local church. When the church in Jerusalem faced starvation because of a local famine, the Gentile or Asian churches came together and helped them. As churches feed the poor, care for widows, heal the sick, preach the gospel, we reveal Jesus to our community. It's exhilarating to know that even though I can make a little difference on my own, in cooperation with the local church, I can be part of massive good. I feel privileged to be part of the local church. Then listen to this. When I only focus on what I like, how I'm fed, what my requirements are, and what's best for me, I become narcissistic. And that means a preoccupation with yourself. It feeds my inner teenager who rolls his eyes at the thought of sitting at the dinner table with his oh-so-uncle family. (laughs) I do not want to feed my inner teenager. In fact, I want to starve him. When I remember that gathering as a church is not primarily just about me, it helps me grow into a mature adult, I cannot grow up spiritually without the local church. Being part of the local church connects me to the past and to the future. And N.T. Wright describes corporate worship as a moment when God's future and past arrive in the present. Rather as though you were to sit down at a meal and discover your great-great-grandparents and also your great-great-grandchildren turning up on the same day to join you. That's how God's timeline works. That's why Christian worship is what it is. There's a continuity in church and the sacraments that ties me back to the apostles and connects me to the church my grandchildren will lead and be part of. What a privilege to be at that time. Jesus loves his church. And he wants to see his church thriving. He wants to see his church built on the word. He wants to see his church flowing in the gifts of the spirit. Um, we had a very funny encounter a little while ago. We've been um, live streaming since we had all the lockdowns and everything. And we just carried on doing it. And there was a guy in our, our town who used to lead a church. And he came to me one day. And he said, Cliff, I've been so surprised watching your live streams. And I said, why? What surprised you? He said, man, you really, you guys really preach a solid word. <laughs> and I looked at him and I, I, was con- I was confused. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh no, we thought you were just like one of those fluffy spiritual churches. <laughs> so I, I thought to myself, well, what did he think we do on a Sunday morning? All come here and then lie on the floor and flap around like fish for half an hour. And then go home. <laughs> you can't build a church unless it's built on the Word. Yeah. But it's got to be built on the Word and the Spirit. It's got to be both. And, you know, there's a unique thing about local churches. Local churches have people in them. I don't know if you've noticed recently, but people have problems. And um, I'm always amazed over the years when people say to me, I got hurt in a church. And it's kind of like going to the hospital, coming back home and saying, darling, you need to sit down. I've been to the hospital today. You will not believe what I saw. No, no, really, darling, get a cup of tea. Put your feet up. You're not going to want to stand like, I went to the hospital. And you know what there was there, darling? There were sick people in the hospital. Can you believe it? It's a hospital that was full of sick people. How terrible. 
But that's what happens in church. People come into local churches. Churches happen to have people in them. People are at different stages of growth and development. And so sometimes someone's going to knock you up the wrong way, rub you up the wrong way, maybe even hurt you in a local church. But what an opportunity to practice God's forgiveness. Because we have all these little cute little things that I've been into people's homes and there's little fridge magnets with white fluffy clouds and a blue sky and it says, forgive and be forgiven. So beautiful and nice. What a lovely little concept until someone hurts you. (laughs) Local church is where you're going to be tested in all areas of your life. Why? So that you can become more like Christ in the unique way that He's made you. And no one gets a free pass. And so I've realized that I'm going to get bumped up the wrong way in local church. Things are going to go wrong. Things are not going to go according to my liking. But hey, that's the best opportunity to say I can love someone who people are struggling to love. And I can be more Christ-like in my attitude towards them and be part of the solution and not further the problem. Amen. You say, why you say that? Because this is really important. I'm speaking about being a spirit-filled New Testament church. And you're going to have to realize that the church is full of people who are different from you, who think different from you, who behave different from you. But that's the opportunity that God places us in community so that we can grow. And I'm not minimizing anyone who's been hurt in a local church. I mean, look, you know, I'm not here to show you, but but if I could, if I took my jacket off, I could show you all the knife wounds. You know, and over and over, we've got a collection of home in the drawer, the knives that you get over the years. But you can't live in that place and say, well, that's where it's at. You've got to forgive people and understand that people have got different issues and you might be sitting there today and you're saying well no nah, not really I'm like, no no you have issues <laughs> and if you don't think you have issues I'll gladly have a cup of coffee with you afterwards and I reckon in 15 20 minutes we can unearth a few of them <laughs> so what did God do with you and your issues he forgave you he extended grace to you he loved you and I expects you to do the same for others in the body of Christ that's how the church grows when people people come into a place that don't feel judged they don't feel condemned. They find liberty, freedom, and life in a house. And they find a group of people that will love them regardless of what's happening. I was getting ready to open our Sunday meeting a couple of months ago. And we've got a few guys in our church like this. But one guy in particular who's uh, come out of the gangs. And he was a leader in a gang. And he's got all the tattoos and everything to prove it. And he was sitting in about the third row. And he was sitting next to an, uh, a, another lady in our church, an elderly lady. And uh, she's like prim and proper, dressed to the, you know, like never, never a thing out of place and has lived in a certain place her whole life. And the two of them are sitting and they're having a conversation and laughing. And I thought to myself, only in the local church can you have that. Yeah. <laughs> right, so if you've got your Bibles, go with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at a local church this morning. We're going to look at how it was started, what took place when it started. What I believe God wants to say to you through this today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's go from verse 1. You good this morning? Yeah. It's nice to see the fundamentals over there. Good to see you. And I saw Joe as well when I came into place. Nice to see you too and others that we know. All right, 1 Thessalonians 1, let's get into this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you because our gospel, now listen to this, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. What a testimony for a church. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 
There's two words there, and I'm going to unpack them a little bit later, but it speaks about we came in word and power. The word word is logos, and we understand that today as the written word, and the word power is the word dunamis, the miraculous power of God. Paul says, I didn't come to you in one or other, I came in both. And you know, we've got so many theologies today, and so many, quote, clever people that have written books, and have got letters behind their name, or in front of their names, or wherever you choose to put the letters. They tell us today, well, what we saw in the book of Acts is not really applicable today. What we saw in the early church is not really applicable today. There was a time when that ended, when that changed, when we no longer need that. And I want to encourage you with this. If you were able to get in a time machine, and I know we can't practically do this, but in some sense you can go and read it and go and live it out through the living word of God. But if you got in a time machine with your book, whatever book it is, whatever author it is, that says miracles are not for today, that miracles have ceased and the gifts are not for today, and you got automatically transported back to the book of Acts, and you walked into one of their prayer meetings, one of their Sunday meetings, one of their home groups, and you said, I've got a book you must read. And they're going to look at the book, and they're going to look at you like you're from the planet Zod, which you probably are. You'll be dressed differently, talk differently, think differently, and they're going to say to you, sorry, we don't understand your book, because all we've known in the church is signs, wonders, and miracles. We know nothing else. You're the first person that's come to tell us that these things are no longer here. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Because what God's wanting to do in the church in New Zealand is raise the level of expectation. Some of us may be, some of us maybe not, some of us in different places, but whatever place you're in this morning, for God to raise your level of expectation, to begin to believe Him, for the miraculous to break forth in and through your life. I was in Sydney last year, and I was I'm preaching at a church there, and and, and I'll happily pray for people who maybe want this this morning. I felt to call up all the young couples who weren't able to have kids. And then I went back to the church in April, or whenever it was, I can't remember the timeline, but back later this year, and I felt to do the same. And just before I did, this couple walked up to the front. Now you've got to hear this. This lady had half her womb removed because she had a debilitating disease which A, stops you from being pregnant, but also threatened certain parts of her body and her anatomy, and half her womb had to be removed. They came in the prayer line last year when I was there, and I just thank God I didn't know the details. Sometimes I don't want to know the details, because then in my head I can think, well, this is never going to happen, but with God, it's, it's, it's always possible. And she's standing, no jokes, in front of the church, and there's this baby. And they're about a month away from giving birth. Told that never give birth. Told that never have kids. You only have half a womb and you've got a disease that prevents you from being pregnant. But oh, with Jesus, when he steps into a situation, anything can change. Anything is possible. When over now, you know, I said we've got two kids and they're nine years apart. And you think, well, like, what, what's the deal with that? We've been believing for five years. Praying for five years. Had people in our church praying. And a wonderful man of God uh, was ministering in our town and he sent me a text one day and he said, look, I'm preaching in your town. It wasn't at our church, but please come. I'd love you to just be there. And just, I'm sitting at the front and he's preaching on Abraham and Sarah of all things. And there's a couple of older people nervous saying, you're not praying for me. Don't you touch me. Halfway through the sermon, he looks at me and he doesn't know any of the details. He says, are you and Nova believing for another child? And I said, yes, we are. And all he said was this, in accordance with God's word, so be it. We did the calculations. Levi was conceived 20 days after the so be it, after we'd been waiting five years. It's a kind of God we serve. It's very exciting to be a Christian. And if it's not exciting, let me help you with this. It's not because God's boring, it's probably because you're boring. <laughs> I don't know if you were walking with the disciples, I think you would have slept with one eye open. What was Jesus going to do next? You never knew. He would just leave you and walk out across a lake in a storm. He would just take a boy's lunch and feed multitudes. He would curse the fig tree and then you'd come back the next day and the fig tree's dead and all the other fig trees are saying, look like you got figs, look like you got figs. <laughs> you just never knew what Jesus was going to do. It's an exciting life to live when you're in touch and in tune with the Holy Spirit and He's leading us and He's guiding us and He's showing us what to do. A little while ago I was across also in Australia and I'm 
catching an Uber and I'm on my way back to the hotel. And this stuff happens to my wife and I periodically. We don't ask for it. It just happens for some reason. Total strangers, people we've never met, just feel like they want to tell us their whole life story. We've never met them. And I've come to realize it's the anointing. It's not us, it's the anointing. So I climb into this Uber. I've been in many Ubers. And the guy's driving me. And I said, so how's your day been? And he just burst into tears. He pulled the car over. And all of the stuff began to come out refugee from Syria and struggling to provide and wife passed away three months ago of cancer and new in the country and got two young kids and and I just got a privilege of telling him about Jesus right there in, in the Uber and, and when we got out I just emptied my wallet I handed him a whole bunch of money and when he got out he just had tears in his eyes and he said who are you and I said it's not about who I am but you God put me in the right Uber on the right day at the right time to tell you this my friend that Jesus loves you and I promise you this if you call out to Jesus your life will never be the same and all the stuff that you're struggling with and battling with now Jesus has the answer for them I mean my wife and I just went to a cafe sat down and the, the waiter will just come so we just always ask how's your day I'm terrible day my mom died three weeks ago and I'm thinking, um, we're just having coffee. Thank you. Don't know you. <laughs> but those are opportunities. It's, all I'm saying to you is this is Christianity is not some antiquated old boring thing. The spiritual life, the spiritual church is incredibly exciting because you begin to flow with what the Holy Spirit wants to do, what He's saying, where He's wanting to take you. And let me tell you this through your hands, through your voice, through your life, He's wanting to perform miracles. You see, here's the key, and I, I, if I don't get a chance to say this now, let me say it just so you've got it. The Holy Spirit is not a subject to be studied. He is a person of the Godhead to be known and experienced. He is to be known and experienced, and He is not less than the Father, and He's not less than the Son. You go to some places and you ask them, what's the Trinity? And without them really saying anything, you'll quickly find out it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Or it's the Father, the Son, and what's His name? Because somehow, the devil has inserted some theology into churches across the world that the Holy Spirit is some silent background partner of the Trinity. And I want to tell you this today, it's simply not the case. And I'm going to show you this in the book of Acts. And I have the highest respect for God's word. I'm not diminishing that. That is the word. Let me give you a couple of things about this church in case I don't get into them and I'll unpack some of them. This church was pioneered in word and power. In fact, I want to say this. If your word doesn't produce power, you need to really go and look at what word you're preaching. Because this word, when it's preached as it should be, cannot but come with power. Because it's not my word, it's not your word, it's his word. And he's very happy to back up his word. This church was sustained by the Holy Spirit. It actually became a powerhouse in the city reaching the unsaved. It became a generous church filled with joy. It was also heavily persecuted. Persecution is a great way of saying, will the real church please stand up? <coughs> And it wasn't a perfect church. Paul had to deal with some doctrinal issues. And I want to say, like I said earlier, there is no such thing as a perfect church. And I want to encourage you, if you ever find a perfect church, please don't join it. You will ruin it. Stay away. Go find some other imperfect group of people that you can slide in and be in the midst of it. But if you find a church that's got everything perfect, please don't join it. You're going to ruin it. Then it became a church that's a model to other churches. All right, go with me to the book of Acts. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And if you want to read the story, we won't get there this morning. The story of this church being pioneered is in Acts chapter 17. But let's have a look at this, because this is what I want you to grab this morning. Acts 1, verse 8. But you, that's you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then Acts chapter 2, turn over another page, and let's read from verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, then jump with me a couple of chapters. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. From verse 8. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, if we've been called to account for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, we are asking how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Who were they filled with? The Holy Spirit. Now we won't turn there now, but Acts chapter 5 is where it gets really interesting. A couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira lie and they die. And Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? That is not an old covenant scripture. That's not found in the Old Testament. That's found smack bang in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Can you imagine if that started happening in the church today? We have a little hashtag for Facebook. Another one down, lie and die. Hashtag lie and die. Lie, you die. <laughs> Church is about to be empty. <laughs> the real issue there was an offering was being taken up and they pretended to give the full amount and they didn't. They thought they'd keep some for themselves and they just come clean and said, we're only giving half, then that would have been fine. But they were pretending to do something that they weren't and the Holy Spirit puts them, puts Ananias down. And in those days there was no Facebook. No email, no Twitter, no Snapchat. No one could quickly say Ananias lied, he's dropped dead in the service so that by the time his wife arrived, she could change the story. So she doesn't know. She comes in, tells the same story, and the apostles say the very feet of the people that carried out your husband's body, they're at the door and they're going to carry you out. And the scripture tells us that great fear sees the church, but the church continued to grow. It will change your hosting manual. You've got a hosting manual in this church? You have to put a new thing. Chapter 8. When people lie and die. Now we deal with that in the service. <laughs> What's your point, Cliff? My point is this. The Holy Spirit, and I'm not here to say the Father's more or Son, they're all co-equal God. What I'm wanting you to grab today is this, is the Holy Spirit is not some back room boy at the back of the church, some silent partner. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, I will send another one just like me who will come and be with you and will live in you. So if you want to get really theologically technical, and I really don't like to do this, but I'm going to do it for a point of illustration this morning. The Father is in heaven, Jesus is at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit is on the earth living in us. Now, he's separating the three, but we've got to get to grips with the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to be at the forefront of his church, his church. You see, the Holy Spirit is as much God the Father as the Son, all equal in value with different roles in the redemption of mankind. You see, Ephesians 1.17 tells us this, and just write this down as a reference. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. Come on, you've got the God of the universe who's taken up residence on the inside of you and you can actually know Him and walk with Him daily and walk in great power. That word knowledge means this. It's knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience, connecting theory to application, gained by direct relationship. Let me say that again. Knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience, connecting theory to application, gained in direct relationship. 
Many people know my wife, but I really know my wife. Because our level of relationship is at a different level to everybody else's relationship with her. And so I've learned some things about her that have been gleaned from first-hand personal experience that no one else would know about her. And you can have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what He's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to walk with Him, to get to know Him, to get to know Him in personal relationship. And sometimes there's things God will do that we don't understand in the moment. But if you're willing to go with Him, He will make it plain as time goes. I don't know why we had to wait five years for another child. God could have done it any day. But now I've realized literally every part of the world we're going to and we pray for people, people are falling pregnant. So maybe we had to wait five years and God drew a miracle in us so we could have the faith to pray for other people so they can get the same miracle we got. But in the time of waiting, I don't understand. God, you are all powerful. You can do anything. You can get my wife to. I mean, you, you came into a virgin. I mean, you can get my wife. My wife can fall pregnant any day now. But God had a process of wanting us to walk through some things to get to a place to put faith in our hearts, which has now led to many other people receiving children. So I don't understand it in the beginning, but when you look back, you see the hand of the Holy Spirit. You see the hand of the Lord upon it. And He's doing it and He's moving. It's incredibly exciting when we're with Him. Knowing your Bible is great. And I reckon all of us should know more. We have no excuse to be Bible illiterate in this day and age. If you can't read, get the app and you can listen to the Word every day. Make a way to learn the Word. But with that, you've got to start flowing with the Holy Spirit. I want to read this to you. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. You don't know, who knows who Martin Lloyd-Jones is? For me, the Prince of Preachers. Amazing. Uh, he led at Westminster Chapel for many, many years. He said this about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He said, at this time, the church is given great assurance concerning the truth. She does not have to investigate the truth or set up a commission to look into it. She's given absolute certainty about it. That's the thing that comes out so clearly in the story of Acts. Take these men, these apostles. You remember how just a few weeks before, after the crucifixion, they were shaken and uncertain. They had come to a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and they had come to see that He was the Messiah, but then He was crucified and they were shattered and confused in their minds. You'll find in the last chapter of John's Gospel that they were just talking to one another when Peter suddenly said, I'll go fishing, I must do something to relieve us. It's miserable, it's impossible. On the other side, we'll go with you. You cannot imagine a more dejected picture. They were shaken and uncertain about everything. Then the Lord appeared to them. He taught them. And yes, this put them in a better condition. But it was only after what happened to them on the day of Pentecost that they were filled with assurance and understanding and immediately began to speak to the people about the wonderful works of God. Never again was there any doubt, never again was there any difficulty about understanding. Take Peter himself, look at the sermon that he preached on that occasion. He was absolutely certain and absolutely assured. That's what happens. When we receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when we get filled with the Spirit. That's what happens when we build our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a certainty that comes. And don't we need to know and be certain of the truth in this day more than ever. When truth has become subjective, you've got your truth and my truth. There's not your truth and my truth, friend. There's the truth. we give you a couple of points and then we're going to pray for some people. Number one. The characteristics of this New Testament spiritual church, number one, it's full of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who are living that out daily. The scripture tells us in Galatians 5 to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have to walk by the Spirit. Walk in relationship with the Spirit. I said this to our church the other day, and I think I shocked a few people in saying it, so mark my intentions not to shock anybody. I'm just a guest here. If you don't like this, it's okay. I won't be here next week. Don't hold it against the leaders. I said to our church, some of you are sitting here, and you're spending all your willpower and your energy to try not to sin. I said, you need to stop doing that. See, people looked at me. They've told us to stop. Yeah. Is he telling us to sin? Then I said this. Instead of that, 
Why don't you just get in touch with the Holy Spirit, be in His presence, and when you do that, the natural outflow is you stop sinning. Because if you've got willpower that's stopping you from sinning, it's only as strong as your willpower. Now, I don't care who you are, no one has eternal, unending willpower. Eventually, it will break. But if you walk with the Holy Spirit, and you're in His Word, the natural outflows, you'll suddenly find, I'm no longer wanting to sin. I'm no longer wanting to be in those places. There's so many Christians that are trying so hard to not sin. I wish they would stop trying and get connected with the Holy Spirit and watch your natural outflow would be that they would no longer sin. It's called grace. I'm not preaching licentiousness. I'm not preaching a license to sin. I'm telling you, the closer you get to the Holy Spirit, sin will be far from your life. Number two. It's a church that was built on the word with signs and wonders following. They didn't dilute the word and they didn't dilute the power of God. As it is in the ministry of Jesus, not weirdness, but power. And I want to say this, you can actually have both. You can have a normal, quote in inverted commas, life, where you've got to get up in the morning, have your coffee, eat your breakfast, go to work, play with your kids. And it can be supernatural all at the same time. It doesn't have to be weird and strange and you lose total connection with what's happening on earth. And, and here's the challenge is we've all seen the weird and strange. And so then what we do is we run a million miles from that, but then we have nothing. God's intent is not to take us back to nothing. It's to bring us back in line with His Word and say you can have it all. There's times when I've got to sit down and open up the PlayStation and play a game with my 10-year-old son. It's not unspiritual. It's an opportunity to connect with him, get into his world, find out how he's thinking, what's happening, and see what's going on. But, I'm, you know, if, if every time he wanted to do something with me and I said, I'm sorry, Dad, but I can't, Dad, he's praying. Eventually, he's going to end up hating the Lord because he can never see his dad because his dad's always praying. That's why I'm bringing him on some of these trips now Because I don't want him to be sitting at home Wondering what dad's doing Let him come and mix with it and be part of it But at the same time you can have supernatural power And it can be done very naturally you don't have to go to the office tomorrow and hit someone over the head with the biggest Bible you can find and say, receive it. <laughs> it can be done quite normally, quite plainly, no fireworks taking place, and God can produce a miracle. And there are times when God will put us under, the, under His power and put us in His presence. You know, sometimes you go to places, and I don't... I don't advocate for what should follow. I'll let God deal with that. But sometimes he, people break out in joy and sometimes he'll put someone on the floor for half an hour and work on them. And, and, and I, I just leave that up to the Lord. I don't worry about that. I mean, I went to a place once where a young girl, she got touched. I think it was a Saturday night meeting and she, she, she was on the floor and she laughed for about an hour. And I know it irritated a whole lot of people that day. But you know, she got up the next morning and she said for the first time in years, she said, I woke up this morning and I don't feel depressed. So you don't have to understand everything God's doing in everybody's life. You have a role to encounter him, his word and his power. That's what we see in this, in this scripture. That church was planted in word and power. We need word and power. Not diluted either way, but you can have both. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus did some radical things. He cast demons into a herd of pigs that ran down the side of a mountain and drowned themselves. And you say, why did the pigs drown themselves? Well, the, even a pig is smart enough to know it doesn't want to carry a demon. <laughs> Oh, there's no demons in the New Zealand church. That's in Africa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're, and listen, listen, this is not People get nervous with this kind of stuff, but I don't see why, because the, the end result is always good. Ooh, how did they get a demon? You, you, with that attitude, you be careful. You might have one. You don't know. We'll find out today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
We had a lady, a lady in our church who had been struggling for months with some issue and sleeplessness. And, and, and God spoke to me one Sunday morning and I just called her out and we laid hands on her and this thing manifested and we cast it out of her. You know, the change in her is remarkable. She's happy. She's sleeping at night. Her husband can see the difference. So it's not, well, how did you get that? It's just get rid of it. Whatever it is, whatever way the enemies try to come in in your life, get rid of it. But that's what Jesus, Jesus did some radical things. You know, casting, uh, demons into a herd of pigs wouldn't have got you elected on the board of the SPCA later that year. <laughs> Just wouldn't have happened. So we don't have to be weird, but we can be radical. And we should let Jesus do radical things in people's lives and not put on judgmental glasses and say, well, why is that happening? Just you encounter God. Don't worry about what other people are doing and let him work in your life and take you to the place that he wants you to be. And if someone else receives freedom, however that's going to look, rejoice with them because they're free. Let me read you this. This comes from a, a, um, a book called Crossing Over by Paul Scanlon, who was leading his church through a cultural change. And he's, he wrote this. It's a, it's a great little thing. I love reading this. He went and interviewed a whole bunch of different pastors to find out how their churches had gone and what happened. And he was in this place and he says, I had a defining moment during this period of our crossing over as a church uh, when I met an ex-Baptist pastor who after 20 years in ministry had resigned and was now a barkeeper. He told me what had led him to this radical change was 20 years of soul-destroying ministry that put him and his wife on prescription medication. He described a church where he felt completely responsible to persuade people to get involved, but they refused. He became worn out from the huge effort required to convince, persuade, remind, and sometimes beg people to get behind the vision. But they wouldn't. I asked him now what he enjoyed about being a barkeeper. And his reply hit me like a hammer. He said this, I love this job because my drinkers are all devoted by themselves. He explained how he never had to persuade or remind his customers to come back. He never had to call his absent customers to assure them they were missed. Nor did he have to inspire them to part with their hard-earned money. Finally, he said, my customers... Come early, they stay late, but in 20 years of ministry, the church did neither. How many of you were previously unsaved? No Jesus, you had another life? Yeah. Every hand should be going up. How many of you had a wild existence in that time? Yeah, my hand is up. You know what I found so interesting in church life? Is during my wild existence, I had no problem going to the clubs till 3, 4 in the morning. Going hard for the devil. Didn't know I was serving him, but I was serving him nonetheless. Going really hard, giving it everything I had. All my money, all my energy, everything was going into it. Never complained about it. I've got to sit in the club till 4 in the morning tomorrow. (sighs) Not sure how I'm going to do that. Then you get saved, and then you come into church. Oh, and the service went 15, went 15 minutes longer than usual. <laughs> Hope this doesn't happen again next Sunday. Got lunch ready at home. It's kind of like then people get saved, and then they dial back everything. Listen, you shouldn't be dialing back. You should be giving more to Jesus than you ever gave to the world. Why do you think God used the apostle Paul? Why do you think God took him and changed him from Saul to Paul? Because he looked at a guy who was murderous, who was killing the church, who was throwing Christians in prison. And he said, I can take that man, use that same passion and create one of the greatest apostles we've ever seen on the face of God's green earth outside of Jesus Christ. I'm going to use him to pen two thirds of the New Testament. Why? Because he took that same passion that he had for serving the world and the devil and it was turned to serve God. Why then when you get saved, do you dial it down? I won't have time to get through all of these because I want to pray for some people in a minute. Let me just give you some of these points. The New Testament spiritual church, it's a place where there's genuine evidence of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit personally and when you gather together. You've got to trust God for that. You've got to believe God for that. The release of prophecy and the gifts, the gift of healing. 
I mean, if I passed the microphone around today, how many of you would know all the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12? How many are there? Do you know what they are? Do you know how they work? Well, if you don't, how can you expect to flow in them? You've got to educate yourself. Right in the beginnings of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I wish that you not be ignorant about these things. I've gone and researched the Greek word for ignorant, and it means ignorant. (laughs) Don't be ignorant of these things. And then he begins to list what the gifts of the Spirit are. And you know, the amazing thing is, it's written to a church which actually was fairly chaotic. And one thing I've always said is this, and I've, we haven't always been there as a church, but we, 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 we're on the road. I've always said, I'd rather have the problems of life than the problems of death. What do you mean by that? Who's ever been in a maternity ward? You know, nowadays they let the husbands in. That's, that's quite a, you know. Levi got stuck halfway through the pregnancy and his heart rate dropped and they had to take him out emergency cesarean section and it was like being in one of those ER movies. The lady comes running in. There was one lady in the room. The next thing there's five and two doctors and this and that and she opens the cupboard and she gives me some scrubs and she says, put these on and I asked a very, very stupid question. I said, so do I take my clothes off and put them on or do I put them on? She said, just put them on. (laughs) Like we need to save your son. Hello, get with the program. So maternity ward can look chaotic. But what I realized when I was sitting there while they were bringing out Levi was everybody in that room knew their role. And I was shocked in the midst of a baby's heart rate dropping and stuff needing to be done, how remarkably calm the surgeons were. They knew what they needed to do. They knew how they needed to do it. It, it, In one sense, there was chaos. There was a lot of stuff that you don't want to see. But you know what the end result was? There was new life. You can have that kind of order or you can have graveyard order. Graveyard order, everything's neat, everything's in a row, nothing out of place, but it's full of death. Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Here's my personal belief, and you don't have to take this on, Village Church. I would rather have Corinth and its chaos than a church that needed to be raised from the dead, personally. Because you can take wildfire and you can point it in the right direction, but if there's no fire, you've got to raise the thing from the dead. So we shouldn't be surprised that when God starts to move in our midst, that there may be some things that happen that we don't fully understand, maybe we're not comfortable with. Mark even encouraged us today when we were standing waiting in God's presence, don't be uncomfortable with the silence, don't be uncomfortable with the pause. Let God do what he wants to do in our midst. Give him the freedom and the ability to do that. Yes, it needs to be well structured. Yes, it needs to be governed by leaders. We understand all of that, and that's part of God's package, but there has to be life. I mean, we had a lady get saved in our church and then she was giving a testimony one day and recently saved and she gets up and she stands up and she says this and had it happened five years before probably half the church would left but thank God no one left she just got up and she just said in the middle of her testimony she says I love this blankety blankety blank church and I'm not going to fill in the blankety blank for you and you know what our church did they laughed she's so freshly saved she doesn't even know about half of that stuff. She's just so grateful that she's found Jesus and she's in a community that loves her. She doesn't do that now. We obviously had a chat and said, okay, look, great testimony, but look, can we just, you know, there's one word there you use. Can we tweak that for the next time you share? You know, <laughs> it would be helpful. But, you know, if that happens and then everybody judges that person, what are they going to do? They're going to leave and serve a judgmental group of people. Yeah. Nearly done. It's a persecuted church. This church was persecuted when it was started. If you go and read in Acts chapter 17, they were persecuted. A mob was rounded up in the city and they chased them out of the city. You say, Cliff, why are you encouraging us with that? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the culture is changing so rapidly in front of our eyes that the very things that we simply hold on to as simple biblical truths could very easily one day in this country be considered things such as hate speech. So do we get fearful as the church? No. 
You see, and this is the key. You have to be walking with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that gives you boldness. How were Peter and John able to stand up and make a declaration when they said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus? They said, no, we will not stop. Why? They were filled with boldness. If it was just you, you would crumple up in a small thing, but with the Holy Spirit, there's boldness that comes upon your life. There's been certain seasons in the life of our church where God has led us to do certain things. And in the midst of it, I'm feeling the power. I'm feeling the boldness. And then when all of that lifts, because it lifts eventually, because you can't live under that the whole time. And, and then I'm sitting and I'm saying to Nova, geez, what were we thinking? But it was such a good thing, God. But I thought in my humanness, what was I doing? How did I talk to that person? How did we? But the boldness of, of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you start to do things that you didn't think you would do before. In his name. And lastly... It was a praying church. This couple here is a beautiful couple. I remember them from when I was here last time, Ken and Eileen, and just their hearts around the things of the Spirit. You know, I've often, and I went through a season where I went and found a whole lot of people that had lived through the, the charismatic renewal of the, you know, the 60s, 70s, and 80s here in New Zealand, where people were getting saved left, right, and center in coffee shops and at work. And, and, and I found a common factor. They prayed in the Spirit. And in those days, it was like everybody did that. Now, sometimes you go and it's like to find someone who's actually praying in the Spirit, it's like trying to find a hen's teeth sometimes. It's like, you know, hen's teeth, there aren't. If you've ever looked in a hen, there's no teeth. <clears throat> you should go and try that sometime. <laughs> Be an education for you. But there's things God's given us to pray. And this church was a praying church. Because the result of their prayers was their faith in God had become known everywhere. So I want to encourage you, church, when there's a prayer meeting, come. When there's a call to prayer for the church, come. When you're at home, be praying. Be pressing in. Be praying. Be asking God. Pray. Worship. Remember, a wonderful woman of God once said, if you only have ten minutes to pray, spend the first nine worshiping and speaking in the Spirit. Because we're not going to get through any other way. I want to say this, and this is not a negative prophecy for those who think RNA is being negative. It's changing rapidly out there. And it's, a, it's not a bad thing for the church. Because when the church looks like the world, I get nervous. The church should not look anything like the world. People should come in here and encounter something so different from what they're getting out there. But it's changing so rapidly out there that if the church is going to have an impact, it's going to have to be a praying church. And we may get persecuted it's okay. I wonder if the musicians can come up, please. I want to pray for some people. I want to encourage you with that. Whatever stage of the journey that you're at, maybe you're sitting here today and you know the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never heard of the Holy Spirit. It's, I'm not yet to judge where you're at. All I'm saying to you is I would encourage you to take the next step, whatever that's going to look like for you. Take the next step.